We here will continue in John, and we uh, we come to we come off of having seen last week Jesus say and show that he's going to love his own to the end. He washes the disciples' feet, and it's a beautiful moment. And he knows what's ahead, and we come to one of those things that was ahead: the betrayal, the betrayal that uh, we see from Judas. It's a dark moment, Uh, not only a dark moment in John's gospel, but a dark moment in all of redemptive history. And I wonder if we can read this with fresh, unfiltered eyes. Uh, What would it have been like to have been there, to have been one of those disciples at the table? We, we, We see this, and we know this passage, and we sort of run through it through familiarity, and but it was a dark, heavy moment. It, it can bring, it can feel weighty. It can bring questions. Sometimes hard questions that we don't really have answers for. <laughs> but it can also cause us to look at ourselves and cause self-doubt or frustration over sin. I must say, as I dove into the passage this week, I had some of those questions. What, what am I going to say about this text where Jesus is betrayed by Judas, one of his own? But I also have to say that I was surprised, surprised by glory, the glory of Jesus in all of this. It is beautiful. The question is, what will we do with the darkness? Let's go to this passage, but we don't go alone, individually. We go to this passage together. So can we go together to John 13? We'll uh, start in verse 18 and read through verse 33. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I receive, I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, go buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I'm going, you cannot come. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let us go to him asking for him to lead us through this time together. Lord Jesus, we come to this passage, which is your word. It is heavy, but it is glorious. Pray that you would teach us. Speak through me, a broken vessel, saved by grace alone, that your word would go out in power, that it would not leave us unchanged, but we would resemble you more and more, and it would all be for your glory, we ask in your powerful name, amen. 1940 uh, was a dark year for the world. I uh, enjoy history. I'm not always great with the details, so I had to go back and look at some of these details, but a lot happened in 1940. Uh, the world, world War II was going on, in case you have not uh, been studying your history lately. There was a lot going on, a lot happened that year. It was really dark. Uh, for, for one, the beginning of that year, on January 8th, uh, Britain began rationing food. Can you imagine rationing food? The whole country rationing food. So that began, and that had gone on for a while. April 9th, uh, the Nazis invaded Denmark and Norway. May 10th, the Nazis invaded France, Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. May 15th, Holland surrenders to the Nazis. May 26, just two short weeks after the Nazis had entered France, France was basically totally conquered to where all the army of the British and the French army were pushed down to one little spot called Dunkirk, which then ensued the, most, the largest retreat in the war, I believe, with three, over 330,000 soldiers evacuated across the English Channel back to Britain. And it keeps going. May 28th, Belgium surrenders. June 10th, Norway surrenders. June 14th, Germans take over rule in Paris. June 18th, Hitler and Mussolini meet in Munich. The Soviets have occupied the Baltic states. In a matter of a few months, Europe was essentially conquered, at least the main one, the main continent. It seemed dark and ominous. In Britain alone, it seemed the Lone Island nation stood knowing what was coming. But something else happened on June 18th that day. A speech was given by Winston Churchill. He spoke of the dark hour, the, dark, the darkest hour in French history for one, but the dark age that seemed to be looming over all of the world. The big question hung in the air over Britain. What would they do with this darkest hour? I'm going to come back to Churchill's speech later. But the question needs to hang in the air. What do we do with the dark hour? You see, this, this passage stirs things in us. What will we do with that dark hour? What, will, what do we do with this particular event here, this dark hour? It is hard. We read it and we think, oh, what? we have questions that come to the, to the table. Like, why Judas? Why did he choose Judas? Why did it have to happen like this? We, we know, we know in here that the story played out, it had to happen, but it's still hard. Things stir in us of perhaps our own story of sin and failure. Perhaps we think, gosh, have, have I betrayed the Lord? You may sit here this morning wondering, can I be forgiven? Can I be loved? What if I'm a Judas? <laughs> what if my life has betrayed Jesus too? What do I do with my story? 
Some of us get tangled up. We get hung up. We get stuck in the darkness of our own stories, don't we? Others of us get frustrated by the sin we see in the world, the darkness that we see. And we think, what is, what's happening here? It seems like the whole world is betraying our God. We want to rally the forces and crush the enemy. But we might miss the fact that apart from grace, I too am a Judas. <laughs> we come with some of these questions. I came with some of these questions to this text. But, but it was beautiful because I was reminded of a couple of things. One, Judas is not the main character. <laughs> Jesus is the main character. And the main point of the text is not merely darkness. Yes, it was dark. The main point of the text is glory. It was glory. Let's go there together. Let's look at this. Because we see the, the scandalous nature of redemption. You, don't, you can't make this up. It's too beautiful. Jesus' moment of glory was the moment of deepest darkness. What will we do with it? What will we do with the darkness? Jesus is the main character. And we need to pay attention to what he does with this dark hour because I think it helps us actually, it shapes us, it gives us an idea of what we need to do with the darkness that we see. You see, he knew what was ahead. He knew the dark hour that was ahead and all that it brought with it. And he still showed up. Okay, this text breaks down, I think, into three parts. There's a lot we can see here, a lot we could go into. But for one, Jesus still showed up. And two, he's, he was troubled, like us. He's troubled. And he's also glorified. Glorified for us. We're going to go to those three main points together. We're going to work through those together. As I said, there's a lot, a lot of questions that could come up here. But again, let's, let's, let's dive into this Jesus showing up, him still showing up. Let's not get lost in, through familiarity with the passage. Can we put ourselves there at night? Can you imagine going through this? Knowing, could you imagine showing up knowing that a dear friend, one you had spent years with, almost all of your time, was, was going to betray you? You know, we, we wouldn't continue for three years with someone if we knew that was ahead, but Jesus knew. He knew. Verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. <laughs> he knew. What's more is he's at the table with all, all 12, all 12 of these guys, many including Judas, and the, the, he speaks of a scripture being fulfilled. The scripture is being fulfilled. The, then he, he speaks of it. He quotes it. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That comes from Psalm 41, verse 9. And it's a psalm of David. And the, he, the, the heel, uh, the man that he's speaking of there, there is Ahithophel. You may or may not know the story there. I went back and looked at it in uh, Samuel. And it was this... The story, uh, it was in the context of Absalom, J uh, David's son, Absalom, who rebelled against him, right? Absalom was uh, slowly over time redirected all the people to himself, away from King David, away from his father, right? He they would come for counsel and he would say, oh, if I could only give you justice, if, if I could do that. He was, he was swaying the people to himself over time. And then he eventually sent for Ahithophel. 
who was David's trusted advisor. And Ahithophel came and sided with Absalom. And Absalom knew, uh, Ahithophel knew David's ways. He knew his routines. And he was able to advise Absalom, hey, here's a great time. Send some men to this place at this time, and you'll have a great opportunity to kill David. He had plotted against him, advised the plot, given the information. And it turned out, uh, as a turn of events, some of the other, other advisors thought it wasn't the best timing and so actually went and warned David And it didn't work out. And Ahithophel heard that, that his plot was not being followed. He decided to go back to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and he took his own life. So what is going on here? How is that fulfilled now? King David survived that plot, right? Jesus said it had to be fulfilled in him. The true king was not going to survive the plot. He had to fulfill that. Jesus knew all of this, and he still showed up. He knew that, that all of this had to be fulfilled with him. The true king was going to be betrayed and killed, not survive. And he was going to do it for us. He was going to do it for us. It had to be fulfilled now, and it had to be him. And here's, in, here's the interesting thing. The heel that was lifted against him, the, the muck that was just wiped off of that foot, was still on the towel that was tied around Jesus' waist. Jesus had washed his feet too. What, what kindness of our Savior. He still showed up in that moment and showed the love that he showed. And... In that moment, he's there to, uh, knowing what's coming, knowing who, what he's about to face, he shows up not merely to get the job done, but to also strengthen his disciples, his followers. You see what he says there? Uh, he, he says, the scripture will be fulfilled. And he said, I'm telling you this now because when it takes place, I want you to be, uh, uh, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. He's strengthening their faith. It's like, don't be surprised when it gets dark. Don't be surprised when it gets hard. Know that I am in control. And it's actually, in the Greek, there's, it's, a, it's just I am. Not I am he, but I am. Again, it's another one of those John references to Yahweh. It's like, I am God. I am in control, and this was always the plan. So don't lose heart. He's strengthening us in those dark moments. Uh, he's always looking after his own. I, uh, um, you know, in a, in, in a storm, they talk about how a hen will, can spread her wings out over her chicks to keep them from getting uh, rained on. And I didn't really know the, what that meant until I got chickens. I learned a lot about chickens after getting them. One, they're messy. Um, they're not smart animals. And I, for some reason, I can't keep them off my patio. But... <laughs> also learned we got them as chicks and they have different kinds of feathers when they're chicks they can't get wet because they'll actually they absorb all the water and they'll get uh, uh, hypothermia and they'll they'll die where they were warned they warned us about all that but when they're adults they have different kinds of feathers and the water beads off of them so the adult chicken can protect the chicks well jesus is protecting his own disciples here against what is ahead he's saying i've got this i've got you Don't lose heart. 
Yes, it will be dark, but I've got you. He still shows up. And he had to be one of us. He showed up as a man, right? He had to be one of us. He had to be betrayed by humanity. You see, all of humanity, in a sense, betrayed God <laughs> way back in the Garden of Eden. We all were all born into that state, and Jesus said, I'm going to do something about it. I'll become one of you so that I can save you. He became the new Adam. But this wasn't just a, uh, I am God, and I'll show up, and I'll get the job done. Here's the plot. Here's the role playing. This is what Judas is going to do. This is what I'll do. This is what all of you will do. It wasn't merely that. He really felt this betrayal. It really hurt. It was real. And that really takes us to our next point, that he was troubled by the dark hour, just like we are troubled. You see verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He's not a distant God. He's God. He's Yahweh. He is the I Am, but he's not distant. He's with us. He gets it. He understands the hurt and the pain because he went through it. He was betrayed. Yes, we can't know all of his ways. I can't understand why it was planned out like this. I can't comprehend why it was Judas and why he plotted it the way he did. I don't, I don't have all the answers to all those questions. But I understand and we understand being troubled. And so does he. Do you know betrayal? Have you felt betrayal? Sometimes we think, with things like that, we either have to get past it, maybe sort of put that behind us and pretend like it didn't happen, or we feel like we've got to carry it forever, some hurt that has happened to us. Maybe we use it as a weapon against the person, or we just feel like it's going to haunt us forever. But Jesus says, no, no, look at me, look at me. God wrote betrayal into the grand story of redemption. We don't have to get past it, and we don't have to be haunted by it. It's part of the story, and Jesus understands. Maybe we haven't personally been betrayed, but we look at the world, and the world seems to betray either our own way of thinking, seems to betray our God. We look out, and we feel betrayed. Our, our hearts maybe betray us. We feel that, too. And we get frustrated by that either we want to fight or flight <laughs> i want to fight the situation or i want to run away from it and jesus has the same words there he says look at me look at me i am taking the hit it's not fight or flight jesus said i receive it it's real and it really hurts and i knew it was coming and i did it for you so he goes on in the story here, he says, he drops that bomb. He finally tells them, truly, true." he's troubled in the spirit, and he says it, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples are all there hearing that. Could, again, could you imagine being at that table? They begin to look around at each other. And the other gospel accounts actually says they go around one at a time, and they go, is it I, Lord? Wouldn't we want to ask the same thing? Is it me? God, is it me? 
there, there's, a, there's a healthy sense of self-distrust there <laughs> that we all probably need to have. I know my heart. I know it deceives me. There's a healthy way to have that. The world says follow your heart. <laughs> Trust your gut. Be who you want to be. I, uh, uh, James and I will often, when we're here during the week or whatever, and we're processing something, we'll maybe knock on the other one's door and say, hey, I need a, a gut check real quick. <laughs> I'm thinking through this, but I need somebody else to speak into this because maybe I'm not thinking right. And I think that's, I, I've kind of learned that from him, but we do that for each other. The question may be in that healthy self-distrust is inviting others in <laughs> to speak into our lives, to do that together. But it can also be unhealthy. We can, it can become unhealthy when we get so stuck in self-distrust that it just devolves into general distrust. Either distrust of others where we, we hold everyone at a distance and we don't let anyone in because we don't trust ourselves and therefore we don't trust anyone else and we're afraid to let anyone in at all. Or maybe we even distrust the words of Christ himself. We distrust the gospel. We struggle to believe that we can actually be forgiven. We distrust the truth. You uh, identify with that. Can anyone else identify with that? We have those times where we get so stuck in self-distrust. We get stuck in the, the loop. The, the, it's certainly healthy to say, is it I, Lord? But we, we get stuck there where it becomes a, 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 something that's on loop in our head. And that's all we hear all day, and we can't hear the gospel. Do you know anybody that asks lots of questions but doesn't wait to listen to the answer? My kids do that. <laughs> but so do I sometimes. I ask questions, and I don't wait to listen to the gospel. What Jesus says needs to be the loudest thing in my head and in my heart. How about you? Let's not get stuck in that loop. Invite someone in. Invite someone in to, to not only speak in and give correction and redirection, but also to remind you of the truth of the gospel. The whole truth, not the half. You know, Satan likes to, to tell us half the truth. <laughs> yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're unworthy. All of that. <laughs> but he wants to put the period there at the end of that and just leave it there. Need the whole truth. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you're unworthy. But Jesus said, I loved you and I died for you. I received this betrayal for you. You're mine. So the drama continues here in this moment, this dark drama. So they're going around. They're looking around at each other. They're, even at, they're, asking, each other, they're asking Jesus, is it I? Is it I? And Peter just can't take it anymore, right? That's Peter. We get Peter. And so he sees John, John seems to be, uh, it says the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, we're pretty sure that's John referring to himself there, and he's sitting next to Jesus, and Peter's maybe across the table somewhere, I don't know, and he just sort of motions over, he's like, hey, you know, to ask him, ask him who is it, I gotta know. And so John leans back on Jesus, because they're reclining at table, they're actually laying down next to each other there, and he leans back to Jesus says, who is it? And Jesus says, well, who I give this morsel of bread to, it is, it is him. 
That was probably, by the way, kind of a private conversation. I think we know that because later Jesus says to Judas, what you're doing, go and do quickly. I don't think the rest of the disciples heard that because they all thought maybe Judas was going to do some charitable act. They didn't know why he said that. Maybe we think Peter, maybe, I think, I think John probably motioned back to Peter, though. and said, Maybe he pointed at him. I don't know. We don't have the answer to that, but. I think maybe Peter, what would you have felt like if you had been Peter and you found out it wasn't you? Oh, oh, thank God. It's not me. But here's what the interesting thing is. We're going to get to this in the coming weeks. But the next scene is where Jesus actually tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. (laughs) I'm sure that was just sent Peter on a roller coaster ride. Peter, you're going to deny me. Judas, you're going to betray me. And both, actually, if you watch the stories play out, they're both greatly troubled. Judas was troubled. You know, he got 30 pieces of silver. He actually took it back, remember? Give it back to the high priest. That I've betrayed innocent blood. And they're like, whatever, do what you want with the money. It's yours now. He was troubled, too. And Peter was troubled. And Jesus was troubled. Judas tried to fix his sin himself. That was the difference. Peter received grace. And we see that later, and we're going to get there in John, but Peter received grace. So the question for us then is, can we receive grace? The grace of the gospel. Yes, we're troubled over our sin. Yes, we're troubled over the brokenness of this world. Jesus offers grace. The scene continues. Jesus says, what you're going to do, do quickly. And he goes out. And then it says, it was night. I don't think that was merely an indication of the time of day. Because John uses light and darkness to communicate deeper truths. Deeper spiritual truths. He said it was night. And I think he's saying it was a dark moment. (laughs) Certainly it was. But here's the interesting thing, and this takes us to the final point here. Jesus is glorified. He's glorified in this moment of deep darkness, the moment where it seems like everything is lost. (laughs) When all would despair, when the battle seems lost, the hero is defeated. Jesus says something very odd. Verse 31, when he had gone out, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now. Is the Son of Man glorified? Huh. He didn't say, now is defeat, or now I'm about to bust some chops and take this Judas guy out. (laughs) He didn't fight or flight. (laughs) He said, now I'm glorified. Those are the places we would go. We would would despair. Or we would want to go fight. (laughs) Let's go find Judas. Let's go get him. Jesus says, no, now in this moment is the Son of Man glorified. This is, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this up. That God would write redemption like this. It's beautiful. At the moment of deep darkness, at the tip of the spear that is flung at Jesus, that is his moment of glory. The die is cast. The first domino is knocked over, and it sets all the others in motion. 
Because you know Jesus showed up and he was troubled and he stepped into the fire. He knew what was ahead and that is glory. The, world's, the world offers counterfeit glory, but this is true glory. The world says, ah, oh, we've identified the betrayer. Off with his head. <laughs> we want Jesus to just zap him in that moment. If it's in our power, we would want to do it. But he receives betrayal. He receives it. You know, the Ahithophel's plot was foiled. Judas's was not. Now, what does this store in us, stir in us? This stirs at the core of our being, at our own points of darkness, those points where we look into our story and we want to cringe. Oh. The points when the plot twists in our own story, when it gets dark, when our sin feels like too much, when we wonder if he cares. <laughs> we see our own desires betray us. We think, surely, surely I've betrayed the Lord. Surely I'm unforgivable. At those points in ourselves where we just go, oh, I'm a wretch. And we just want to run away. That is the point where Jesus' love is most fierce for us. That is when he's glorified, when he says, yes, and I paid for it all. He stepped into that dark moment and is glorified by standing in our place. Yes, my sin, yes, your sin killed the Lord of glory. And praise be to God that Jesus accepted it for us. And he goes on. He goes on in verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. What does he mean? What can we not do? What can we not go to? You know, we want to, we like Peter, say, I'll go die with you. <laughs> I'm going with you, Jesus. I'm going to go into the battle. But Jesus knew the path ahead that led from betrayal to arrest, to being beaten, to being humiliated, to being crucified, to then looking to his own Father in heaven and hearing the echo of forsakenness. We can't go there. Because only he can go there and bear that for us. That is his glory, what he accomplished for us. What does that mean now? Most of us aren't probably consciously trying to make up for our sin, but perhaps we try functionally. We try to cover ourselves. Maybe we spend enough time groveling in it uh, or uh, trying to pay penance or feeling like, well, I know I'm not forgiven. I know if I just try harder and do better and read the word more and pray more, then God will be happy with me again. And we forget forgiveness and grace. You find yourself doing that? Or we look for the Judas among us. And we say, well, well I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as that guy over there. I'm, I'm good, right, God? But we miss the fact that actually all the disciples ran away <laughs> that night. They all forsook Jesus. Yeah, Judas betrayed, Peter denied, but they all scattered. Only Jesus stayed the course. Only he could do what had to be done. Jesus says there 
what Paul says also in Romans, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Can you accept that gift? Can we accept that gift? Believer, we need to be continually receiving that gift every day. It's not a once and done, like, oh, I got it, I'm good. We've got to receive the gospel afresh every day, be reminded of it. If you've yet to ever receive that gift, if you've spent your life trying to pay for your own sin, stop trying and receive grace. Receive the gift of the gospel. And what impact would this have on us as believers if we accept this, this kind of grace, this kind of glory that Jesus displays? I think rather than being stuck in remorse, we'll be vibrant, be radiant. I'm forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Not focusing on the muck that was just cleaned off of our feet. Yeah, we'll see that, but we don't stay there. We receive grace, grace that has been given for us because of what Jesus did, because he stepped into that moment. Let's not get stuck trying to carry the guilt of our sin. Let's not get tangled up in the darkness of our story. Let's look at the one who is beaming with glory at our our point of deep darkness and says to us, you can't come for this part. (laughs) I'll take it from here. And he goes, and he goes to the cross for us. Well, back to, uh, back to that dark hour in Europe in 1940. Back to Mr. Churchill's speech. This is how it ends. It was a long speech. I'm not going to give the whole thing. Just how it ended. The battle of France is over. I, I expect that the battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of our civilization. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad sunlit uplands. But if we fail... And the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. An inspiring speech, in fact, a speech that may have saved the Europe and the war, and the war, the, war, the world. <laughs> We'd like to be Mr. Churchill, the one that rallied the wagons, the one that got it done, the one that rallied the British Isle and turned the tides of the war, saving the world. We come to the darkest hour and we think we've got to bear ourselves. You notice he said that. We've got to bear ourselves up. It's down to us, Britain. We've got to win this war. We must hold the island. We must muster ourselves for our finest hour to follow our man into war and defeat the enemy. But Jesus turns it all over because our man had to be given in to betrayal for us. And he says, you can't go into this war with me. I've got to do it myself. I must take it because losing is winning. (laughs) Losing is glory because losing is defeating everything. (laughs) 
death and sin and separation from God. And it's all for you, my children. The question remains in the air. Yes, we're, we're here and we find our own dark hours and we search our stories and maybe we're in our own darkest hours here right now. We wonder, what if I'm like Judas? Can I really be forgiven? Can I make up for my sin? And Jesus says, look at me. And the question hangs in the air. Will you receive his grace? He's altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. That was our meditation for worship, by the way. Let us not be hardened in remorse. Let us receive grace and live radiant lives in the beams of his steadfast love. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though it is dark, even though it is heavy and weighty, we see you and we see your glory shine through. May your glory shine through to us in our dark moments as we look back over our lives or we even feel it now and we don't know what to do. Help us to see that we merely look to you and see what you have done. So I pray for all of us here that need to be reminded of grace. Let us receive it. Let us receive it this morning and go out radiant with forgiveness. Pray these things for your glory and for our good. Amen.